If you will, get your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. As for your prayers this morning, I've been battling this vertigo, and um, I was pretty good this morning until I was putting a screw in the door hanger back there and looked up, my world spent, and I came over here and got my microphone over here and had to bend over and stood up from that. <laughs> So here we go. Uh, I told, I asked a preacher friend of mine to pray for me today, and I told him, I said, I'm just going to hold on to the pulpit and preach. <laughs> so don't let me bend over. You found your places to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, let's stand in honor of reading God's word. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and stomach's for the food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise up through his power, raise us, raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the only one who joins himself to a prostitute in one body with her, for he says, is one body with her. For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have for, from God, and that you are not your own? But you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Father, we come to you needing you more desperately than we could ever imagine. God, that we may surrender ourselves fully to you and be obedient and be guided by you. Father, speak to us today. Change us more into your likeness. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. In Paul's writings, he speaks of freedom. A believer has in Christ, due to the grace which has been given, God has lavishly poured out his grace 
upon the believer. He speaks to it, to this grace, throughout his epistles. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, I'll read to you. It says, The law came in so that the transgressions would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace could reign through the righteousness, to the eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and continuing with that thought there of what he's talking about, uh, in chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, I'll read to you. It says, What shall we say then? Are, are we to commit Continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we who we have been buried with him through baptism into the death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would... We would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. So grace is not a license to sin. Matter of fact, grace is a power to die to sin. It is the very power that when we know of God's grace, it gives us power to die to sin. If, if we die to sin, it no longer has power over us. The power is found in Christ. It's in Him. We, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We're baptized in His death, and it means that we are alive in Him. And He's eternal. There's abundant life found in Christ. We're buried with Him through baptism. We're raised in Christ in the newness of life. Our old self is crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That we be buried our sin. That we are no longer to be slaves to sin. And he says, for he who has died is freed from sin. Greek philosophy considered everything physical, including the body, to be basically evil. And there was no value 
to it whatsoever. So what was done with or to the body did not matter. Their philosophy probably would tell you that food was food and the, and the stomach was the stomach and that food was for the stomach and the stomach was for the food. They would agree with that. But the next part, Paul says, hold up. Sex is not just sex. It's not just a biological function. Therefore, satisfy your appetites. Our passage this morning basically tells us two things. The body is the Lord's. And we're to flee from immorality. The body is the Lord's and we're to flee from immorality. Therefore, our thoughts should be continually to focus on the goodness, the holiness of the Lord, and the sickness and the danger of sin. The danger of sin. Look with me back to our passage in verse 12, the very first part, what I like to call 12a. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things that are lawful may have been like a slogan, a saying of a liberated society of the Corinthians would say, and grace is God giving us forgiveness. However, sin, all sin, is dangerous. There's danger in sin. Great danger. Matter of fact, it is only for sure terminal disease. Eternal terminal disease. All believers in Christ, we have died to sin. And our sin has been buried. We're not to go dig it back up and revive it from its death. We're not to entertain in our thoughts old sin. We're to bury it. There was these neighbors. One neighbor had a pet rabbit. And you've probably heard this before, but another neighbor had a dog. And one day the neighbor that had the dog opened their back door and there stood their dog with the neighbor's dead rabbit in its mouth. And oh man, they got so upset. They knew how much that neighbor loved that rabbit. And they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? If they find out that our, our dog killed their rabbit... Oh, it's going to be bad. So the rabbit was all dirty and everything, I guess, from the fight with the dog. Or, and, and so they washed the rabbit and, and, and they got a hairdryer and fluffed it all back out. And then they went to its little pen and laid it back in its pen. And maybe the neighbors would just think it died of natural causes. That evening when the neighbors got home, they... The neighbors with the dog was out in their yard and the neighbors next door that had the rabbit came over and said, 
Man, y'all got to hear this. This is the craziest thing that ever happened. This morning we found our pet rabbit had died from natural causes and we had a ceremony. We buried it. And we got home and it was back in its pen all white and fluffy like it had never been in the grave. The dog went and dig up something dead. And we ought not to be like dogs and dig up dead things. Let dead be dead. Amen? We're not to rehearse old sinful habits in our mind. We're not to dig it back up. That's very dangerous and that is not profitable whatsoever. Sin, and especially sexual sin, is very dangerous and it is destructive. It, sexual sin, controls so that the believer is never to allow to sin to have that control. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, the unbelievers, who do not know God. Let us, the believer, be filled with the Spirit of God, that gives us peace, love, hope, gentleness, kindness, joy, self-control, and many other good things, not lust that leads to destruction. The temptation of sexual sin is, first of all, deceit. The very temptation of itself, and let me clarify something before I keep on. Sexual sin is anything out of the bounds of marriage. And it is deceiving. It promises satisfaction and pleasure and allurement. The allurement of it is powerful, but illicit relationships are always unstable due to its temporary and impersonal gratification of physical impulses. Some use it for relationships at one after another, broken relationships, as if that's what it takes to have someone to love you. However, God created intimacy for marriage to be good, to be loving, husband and wife, to be beautiful, satisfying, and stabilizing. In Proverbs 5, verses 18 through 19, it says, Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in your wife of your youth. Be exhilarated always with her love. It is something beautiful. The world... And the sinners of the world try to make it something ugly. 
And when it's outside of a marriage, it brings destruction. It's destruction to the home. It's destruction to the health. And it is destruction for honor. It kills all three. David's sin with Bathsheba brought on more sin trying to cover it up. He went from this illicit affair to the murder of the husband. In 2 Samuel 11.27, it says, But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. It is evil in the sight of the Lord. The prophet Nathan told David that God said, The sword shall never depart from your house. I will raise it up. I will raise up evil against you in your own household. And the child that is born to you shall surely die. And that's exactly what happened. The child of Bathsheba that was by David died. His own household, his sons, plotted against him and killed one another. Yet David repented. But sin has consequences. Listen to me. We may get, get, we will get forgiveness because God's word says that if you confess your sins to him that he is faithful to cleanse us of all iniquity, you will get forgiveness. But it doesn't mean that the consequences of sin necessarily goes away. The baby still died and there's still a sword in David's house. In Psalms 51, 4, said, And my sin is ever before me. This is David as he's praying. And my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David recognized the main one he had sinned against was God. God's grace is free, but the cost of sin is very high. Very, very high. We're going to look at the second part of verse 12, what I'll call 12b, where Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul knows his freedom that he has in Christ due to the God-given grace that has been poured out on to him. And in his gratitude, he refused to allow himself to be enslaved by anything except the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to become slaves of Christ, to be obedient to Jesus, and to live our lives for him, because that is living. The world wants to tell you to go out in the world and grab all the gusto while you can, but friends, that is not living. Living for Christ is living. Paul knows his freedom that he has in Christ. There, there is no sin more enslaving than sexual sin. When, when we are willing to associate with sin, 
we will soon tolerate sin and then we will practice sin and, and when we practice sin, it will grow and then it will corrupt and it will destroy not only the guilty, but it also hurt the innocent. You know, when you sin, it doesn't only hurt you, it will wind up hurting friends, family, someone else. David's sin hurt Uriah, the Hittite. It keeps on hurting. The Corinthians were practicing immorality. Many believers had gone back to them. The, the new, they knew just where they had been buried. The best thing to do when we bury our sin, forget where we buried it. Forget about it. Don't think about it. Don't linger on it. When a thought comes into your mind, rebuke it. Do you ever think of sin from the past? And do you entertain the thought by dwelling on it? You're digging. Throw the thought out immediately. It is not easy to be in control of ourselves as we often think. Many deceive themselves thinking that they are in control, that they can handle their thoughts of what they think and or their actions because they always do what they want. The flesh is then controlling the mind. It should not be that way. The flesh, the urges of the flesh should not control the mind. Paul says we're to have the mind of Christ. They had the attitude of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27. But I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive in the obedience of Christ. Paul says we're doing something about our thoughts. How important it is to live in the obedience of Christ. As a believer, it is the utmost importance. We are called. We are to serve our Lord. Habitual sin disqualifies us from service. Not for salvation, but for holy living and useful service to God. And for the believer, it must be our utmost desire is to serve God. After all, He sent His Son to die for us in the midst of our wretched sin. He knew what He was going to die for. That which what He hates. Sexual sin deviates. Look at with me verse 13 in our text. 14. 
And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. It deviates, especially it deviates God's plan and God's purpose for the bodies of his people. A Christian body is for the Lord. It is a member of Christ, and it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Food is food. I read Romans to y'all. Y'all must have thought I was crazy. <laughs> I left off Romans, turned it back there, and I read that. I can't even blame that on the uh, vertigo. All right, Romans 6, 13, and 14. Let me read again. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for the food. But God will do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. The, the Corinthians were saying food for the stomach is biological, so is sex for the body. Paul says, yes, food and stomach are created for one another, but the body was created for the Lord, not immorality. God would do away with the food in the stomach. The body is a member of Christ. Let me turn to my text. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. The Corinthians considered it nothing to it. It was okay to go out and do with your body what you want to do with your body. They didn't understand, and even the believers of Corinthians went back to their old ways, trying to adopt that same theory. But Paul comes here with the Word of God saying, No. No. Christ's people are to become one spirit 
with Him. That when a man and a woman become husband and wife, they are one flesh. And therefore this one flesh comes into Christ as one. Who commits a Christian who commits sexual immorality involves the Lord. Again, all sex outside of marriage is sin. And when it's committed by believers, it profanes the name of Jesus Christ. Paul warns, flee immorality. Flee and keep on fleeing until the danger is past. We should not argue, debate, explore, excuse, but run. We're not to linger around in, in its presence and think that we can out-talk it, out-argue it, Whatever, you know, it says to flee. It says to put on your tennis shoes and run. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the inner, immoral man sins against his own body. Paul is saying that the sin is unique within his body, bent on personal gratification, and, and it drives that like no other impulse, and it, it affects the body like no other sin. Intimacy is the deepest union of two people. Its misuse corrupts on the deepest human level. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? Whom you have from God. And that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. The Christian's body is a temple. It's a sanctuary. We have been bought with a price to glorify God in our body. We're to shape our body so that when others see us, they see Jesus. To commit sin with our body, knowing it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is sickening sounding, but it, it, this sin is sickening. But to do that in our body would be like committing sin, this sin, in the sanctuary. Because he says that our body, the believer's body is the sanctuary. The very dwelling place 
of Christ. It's Holy Spirit. We no longer belong to ourselves. We have been bought. Bought with a price. First Peter Chapter One Beginning with verse eighteen. says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of the Lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Oh, beloved, to let you know that it was the highest price that's ever been paid. And it was by Christ that we've been bought for a specific purpose. It's to glorify God. So immorality profanes God. If you're a believer, it profanes God. To commit sin with our body is profaning God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, For we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. We are no longer to belong to ourselves because we've been bought with this great price. Our bodies were made for the supreme purpose of glorifying God. A a call uh, to bring honor To bring glory, to bring praise to this amazing God who alone is worthy of our obedience and our adoration. We have a sinful nature, and Christ came to redeem us to buy us out of the bondage of slavery, to set us free. And when it said earlier in the text that the law transgression increased, what it what it's basically saying there is that our knowledge of sin has greatly increased and we understand that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. Do you know that today that, that we desperately need a Savior? And when we come to faith and we say, yes, Lord, I know that I'm a Savior. I need to to turn from my sins and turn from my selfish ways and turn to You, the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Forgive me of my sins. By that faith, you are saved. 
is justified. You have been justified through the precious blood of Jesus. Then comes sanctification. Sanctification is that continual awareness of the sin that's in you and you're continually uh, repenting. You're repentantly giving it over to Christ and, and asking the Lord to strengthen you and help you to grow in Christ. And through that, we're directed, we fall in love with the Word of God because we understand it's His Word. We want to hear what He says. We want to know what He says. And we want to become more and more like Jesus. But listen, in our justification, Satan knows that he's lost the war. But he's interested in individual battles from day in and day out. How he can make you stumble and how he can make you fall. Why? Because he don't want you to Use your body to go out and glorify God for others could see it and want to desire it and want it to know Christ like you know Christ. They want you to continue to be comfortable in the world of uh, being a Christian that sits on a pew and not doing anything. He wants to keep winning the battles for He'll make you feel defeated. And so therefore... Thoughts pop into your mind. Take them captive. Throw them in jail. Flee. Run. Pray. Read your Bible. Sing praises to God. Give Him the glory. Every time Satan reminds you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. And more of that, remind yourself of your future in Christ. There's nothing. There's a scripture said, what will man give in the exchange of his soul? It should be nothing. We have Christ. We have everything. He is all in all. This life is short. It's temporal. And so many are just like the Greeks and just thinking, hey, it's my body, I'll do with it what I want to. No, not if you're a Christian. Not if you're a Christian. You, you've got some obedience to do. This body is not going to last forever. But use it for His glory. And when you do that, he's going to give you a brand new body. And I can't wait for that brand new body. Amen? It won't have vertigo. It won't have aches and pains. And it'll know how to glorify God for eternity. And eternity waits. It waits. I can think back. I used to hear my dad tell stories, and he'd say, yeah, 40 years ago. And I thought, my goodness, 40 years ago. How in the world did he remember something 40 years ago? 
And, uh, man, that's so long. It's not that long anymore. Can you imagine eternity? A promise from a loving God. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all of us. And we to use our bodies, our tongues, to confess, profess, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't let the evil one hinder you from doing such a precious thing. It's our duty. It is our calling to use our bodies to glorify God. It's not for momentarily... I don't. I can't even come up with the word. Momentary pleasures. It's not for that. It's for eternity. It's something eternal about us. And Christ wants us to spend eternity with Him. What about you? Do you battle sin? Yes, you do. You've got to be aware of that. you got to be, it might not be sexual sin. It might be something like anger. You know your sin. That sin that Hebrews 12 says that so easily besets you, you have it. And you must deal with it. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet we need to continue to be in Christ and serving Christ. And let me tell you something, church. We need to be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. I know of all they called these steps up here at the front altars. I don't really want to refer to them as altar because the cross was the altar and He paid all the price on that altar for our sins. There's no more offering for us to give at the altar. But these should be prayer benches. It should be when the family of God comes together that they pray. Christ said that, that the house of God It's not called a house of preaching. It's not called a house of singing. But it's called what? House of prayer. What about your prayer life? Listen, if you're going around and you can quote the whole book of Romans and you don't have a prayer life, Romans not doing you much good. Your memorization will not get you to heaven. It takes walking it and talking it and being that 
called servant of Christ. We at Highland Park need to be known as people who pray. I told the Sunday school class earlier, look, I know some of you are shy, but you can talk about the things that you love. I'm telling you, if I, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, I can bring up a subject about your children or grandchildren, man, you can get after it. Well, I'm talking about our Redeemer, our Christ, our Savior, who saved our wretched sins to give us eternal life. And in our prayer, we shouldn't hold that in. We should pray and be fervent in our prayers and be able to pray for one another and edify one another. When I hear other people pray, it edifies me. What about you, church? Let's pray. Father, you're a wonderful and an amazing God. Thank you so much for buying us with the precious blood of Jesus. God, help us never to be ashamed of the gospel, but let us speak it boldly. And God, let our love, your love that's in us, overflow to others. Help us to be faithful servants. Make us vessels of honor instead of dishonor. God, help us to keep an ever-watchful eye on the sins that so easily besets us and keep our eyes focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, if there's one here today, God, that needs salvation, needs forgiveness, needs to repent, God, I pray that, God, you would put it in their heart and give them the strength to step out and step forward and proclaim you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Stand and sing number 361.